in this series uh, now in the book of John for a while, and uh, Sean, Pastor Sean last week preached um, the first message, and I listened to it, it was really good, like, really good, and I just had one of those moments like, oh, I have to follow that. Um, I, I enjoyed it, I enjoyed his insights, uh, just the way he un, uh, just kind of unpacked uh, that first chapter, and he started where I was gonna start, and that's at the end of John, because you have to start at the end of John to understand the book of John. And the end of John has this little statement. Paul said, or Paul, John said, I think I have to get out of Paul because I've been in the other letters of Paul. But John says, these words, these stories about Jesus were written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him you may have life. And those words steer the entire book of John. That's the purpose, right there. To understand Jesus, to believe in him, and to have life because of that belief in him. Now as we come into today, we, we're starting with the next section in verse 19, and there's gonna be a problem because we got two Johns now. We got John, as Sean said, capital D last week. Sean, or John, capital D, the disciple who's writing this, the author, so we got John the author, and now we got John the Baptist. And if I confuse those two, I'm really sorry. Hopefully you can, you can figure that out. But we start with him just jumping right into the middle of the story about John the Baptist. And the, the grand reveal is about to happen of Jesus with, with the world and his ministry. I mean, he was born and that was big with the angels, but this right now as we're starting uh, this, this whole journey of Jesus' final three years and, and him starting to speak about him being the son of God. And what's interesting is we jump into it, but Matthew and Luke spend a lot of time talking about John the Baptist, actually Luke the most, and, and then Mark has some details too that fill us out. John doesn't spend that much time setting up John the Baptist. And, and if you wanna know anything about John the Baptist, he's like this fiery prophet, no-nonsense kind of guy. I don't do politics, don't ask me to believe politically correct, I just don't do that. I do God, and I do his word, and that's it. I mean, he's like a man's man. He wears camel hair, like clothes. Like, I've never worn that. That just sounds so much more manly than anything I've ever worn. Um, he's an intense guy. It actually got him killed later on because he called out the Roman king, Herod, for incest. Herod didn't like it, ends up losing his life for that. That's the kind of guy John was, John the Baptist. So we pick up the story, and what is his message? His met is repent, turn to the kingdom, and be baptized. And, and, and the baptism is this, this sign to God, like I'm serious about this, God. Pay attention to me. I'm turning from my sin. I want you. Pay attention. See me. And John's actually at the river, and, and it, he's become a thing. Like, everybody around the area knows about John the Baptist. People are starting to draw to him and collect to him and, and come and follow him, and he's got disciples, and he's become such a thing that we find in verse 19 this statement. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? 
So he's become such a thing that Jerusalem, the center of spiritual and political power, but in this reference it's a spiritual power, has sent out a task force, a delegation to find out who is this guy, what's going on. We've got to figure this out. And so they ask him, who are you? And he says this, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now that sentence is really kind of confusing. Like, he confessed and did not deny and then confessed. Well, what is he saying? Well, they're saying, who are you? So he confesses and doesn't deny that he's John the Baptist. Does that make sense? So he starts off with that. I'm John the Baptist. You got me. I'm right here. Camel hair guy. Yeah, me. And then he says, but, and there's some kind of an underlying question. Maybe they asked it or maybe it was assumed. We're not sure But the implied question is, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Now, the Greek word Christos is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Does that make sense? So this all starts with a Hebrew word called Messiah. The Greeks translated that into Christos and and now that's, we have those two words, Christ, Messiah, they're interchangeable, they are one and the same word, and, and that's obviously someone who comes to save, to rescue, to redeem another or a nation or however it would go. Uh, in, in the Bible, obviously, we're talking about the Savior, the Messiah, and, and history bears out like Israel's looking that for their nation, but as we find out, as going through John, if you read, that it's the savior of the entire world. And so he says, no, 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 you got, you got the right guy, but I, I'm not the Messiah. And it's interesting, they're coming, and they're, they're right at ground zero. Like, you think about this, this hasn't gone on that long, and Jerusalem's already sent guys because they're looking for the Messiah. They are on point. I mean, you would talk about they're ready. They, he's over there baptized and they got their delegation. Who are you? We want to know, are you the Messiah? And he says, no. So why, why are they so up about the Messiah? Well, the Messiah is all through the Old Testament prophecies about them. Isaiah is probably the most famous book that has the most prophecies about the Messiah coming. And if you've ever heard Handel's Messiah, the title of that song is all about the Messiah, right? So Isaiah chapter 9, right? Uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and this government shall be upon his shoulder. Right? Anybody sing Handel's Messiah? Hey, we got some peeps. All right, all right. Um, and then you go into Isaiah 53. Surely, surely. Right? He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Right? And you go on to that, pierced for our transgressions, the chastisement that brought us peace, and his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 55 A redeemer is coming for Israel. So all these prophecies point to the Messiah, and there's so many more. So here's this intense guy stirring up revival in Israel. They've got to send the task force to find out, is this the Messiah? They're wondering if this is Messiah. They're not even wondering. They're hoping the Messiah's come. Why? Because Israel is not saved. And why isn't Israel saved? The answer to that question is relevant even today. How they answer that question 
shows how they view the coming Messiah. Is Israel saved when John the Baptist is there? Is Israel saved or not? And they would say no. Why? Because they're conquered by Rome, not because they're under judgment for sin. They, they would see the Messiah coming to save them from sin, right? But the, 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 real, the real issue of the Messiah is that oh, he's got to come and save Israel from being under captivity, enslaved to Rome. The spiritual condition of the nation being under judgment and condemnation was not on their radar. Politics was more important. I don't know about you, over the years, I, I, I now see the arrogance I've had as I've come and have viewed Israel during that time. Like, how could they be so, like, ignorant? How could they be so clueless? Now, after this past year, not so much. I get it. Fixated on salvation politically, not spiritually. So they come, the implied question is, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I am John the Baptist, I'm not the Messiah. And then they go on, they say, well, are you Elijah? Now what happens here is there's several big people that are part of this whole coming of the Messiah and the prophecies of Scripture, and they've got a list in their mind. They got a list. So first one is we're looking for the Messiah and then we're looking for the signs of the Messiah or the people that are surrounded. So they go, okay, so you're not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? So Elijah was a famous prophet. If you don't know, maybe you're newer to the Bible, lived 850 years BC, famous prophet, filled with faith, prayer, did miracles, unbelievable man of God. He dies 400 years later, so now we're at 450 BC. This guy, Malachi, who's another prophet, gets this word from God and says, look, I am going to send Elijah who is gonna come and bring the day of the Lord. And so he's attached to the Messiah, and so they're like, oh, dude, are you the Messiah? And he goes, I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? And he's like, no, I'm not Elijah. So now they gotta go to the second or the third one, now are you the, the prophet? Now the prophet comes out of Deuteronomy 18, where God said, I'm gonna send a prophet like Moses again to you, Israel. So this is like, I think around 1200, 1400 BC, way long ago. Who's going to what? It's tied into the kingdom of God and, and bringing in, ushering in uh, the Messiah, as it were. It was, it's been classically tied to uh, the return of, of Christ or, or the Messiah. And so they say, are, are you the prophet? And he goes, no, I'm not the prophet. I'm, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not, I'm not uh, this prophet. And what's interesting is if you go read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the, uh, the other three books right there that talk about Jesus' life, Jesus several times says, John the Baptist, oh yeah, he's Elijah. And, and you can kind of go, well, wait a minute, John's saying I'm not, and Jesus says he is. I think, here, here's what I think's happened. I think John is just one of those guys like, I ain't claiming that. I mean, that ain't me. And if somebody came up to him probably later on in his life, you know, a few years later, or months later, not a few, because uh, he doesn't live too much longer, and says, hey, Jesus told us you're, you're Elijah. He's like, well, that's Jesus. Like, I'll, I, I'm good with whatever Jesus says, right? But he's not going to lay claim to that. 
And there's other pieces here where you, you find even, I think it's John who says, we didn't understand what Jesus was saying until after he was resurrected and ascended. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's what that meant. And, and I think there could be a piece of this where John's not entirely sure what names are his or not, and he's not interested in it. And he maybe understands it as time goes on. So he gets done with his, no, I'm not this guy, I'm not that guy, and, and they get exasperated, and they finally say this, and in 22, they say to him, well, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? As if to say, look, we gotta go back, you're killing us here. Like, you're not all these people, so who are you? Because we gotta tell some, our bosses something. And he goes, listen, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he's quoting Isaiah 40, chapter, or chapter 40, verse 3 through 4. Guess what it says? I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the pathway of the Lord. He's quoting a prophecy about the one who would go before, they call it the forerunner, of Christ, right? The one that would go out in front of the victor, the king, or the good news and say, hey, he's coming, the king's coming in victory, right? And they would be the one out in front telling everybody, get ready. The party's about to begin. And he's a forerunner. So he says, you want to know who I am? I'm the forerunner. I'm the hype guy. I'm the hype man. I'm here to tell everybody he's coming or he's here. Get ready. In and of that, that statement pulls him in to the messianic narrative and story. That prophecy and him claiming that, he's now tied to the Messiah. I'm the forerunner. I'm the voice. I'm the one crying out, make way. So they go on and they go, well, well, this whole baptism thing, help, help me understand that, right? They, they ask him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So they don't get this connection with Isaiah 40 and, and the, the forerunner. And, and so John says, look, I'm baptizing with water, and he, look what he does, he deflects it. He doesn't really talk about himself. He deflects it and starts to talk about the one that he's come to talk about. He says, I, I baptize with water, but uh, among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These, and then these things take place in Bethany across the Jordan, uh, the location of that. What's interesting, he's, they say, well, what authority do you have? And he goes, well, to be honest, um, if you think I'm worthy, let me tell you something. And, and, and that day and age, uh, student teachers had relationship, right? Like the student would, would hang out with the teacher and, and there would be like this, this mentoring relationship. And, but there was boundaries to it. It wasn't servitude. It wasn't a slavery. There was a mutual respect even of that. So a student would never clean a teacher's shoes or sandals. A slave would. That's what a slave did. They did the, the task that nobody else would do beneath everyone, right? So a slave would do that. And look what John says. He says, I'm not even worthy to clean the shoes. They're looking to him and saying, what authority, what worth do you have to be doing this? Who do you think you are? And John says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing in comparison to him. Isn't that a, 
Isn't that a crazy answer? I'm nothing. I'm no one. And the next day, as it were, as timing would have it, verse 29, it says this, he saw Jesus coming. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me just stop right there for a second. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a declaration nobody understood at that time because the Lamb of God is a sin sacrifice. It wasn't used for that. It was used for other sacrifices. The Lamb of God, the, the idea of a lamb and the blood of the lamb first came into, uh, I, I would guess, um, use when Israel was in Egypt and Pharaoh was not letting Israel go and so God was sending as the last, the tenth plague, the angel of death and he said to anyone, any home who would sacrifice an unblemished lamb and take the blood and plant it over their doorway, they will be passed over by the angel of death and, and they will not lose their firstborn child. So all of Israel did that. They painted their doorways with the blood of a lamb and the angel of death passed over. So you have this powerful metaphor and they celebrate the Passover as part of the rhythm, the spiritual rhythm of our nation ever since that time. 1,400 years or 1,200 years, something like that. They've been celebrating the Passover. So the idea of the Passover lamb and the power of the blood of the lamb was always part of that. And then you get into prophecy of this idea in Isaiah where it says this lamb will become, this lamb will come, I think it's, um, I have actually the quote here, um, Isaiah 53, yeah, it talks about surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, led to the slaughter and the Lord would crush him as put to him to grief and with his soul made an offering for guilt. This is a messianic prophecy uh, that the sacrifice, or, or of the sacrifice of the Messiah's life, he would be like a lamb. And what's interesting is you see this phrase, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then he sees it, Jesus, the next day, and he says, look, the beha- behold, the lamb of God, right? He says it twice, and you don't see it again. This phrase is not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in Luke, it's not in Acts, it's not in any of the other New Testament letters except for the final one, Revelation. And there's this crisis in heaven. John has this vision of who is going to open the scrolls and begin to usher in the end of the world and the kingdom of God coming and a new heaven, a new earth and the judgment of Satan and all the evil. And no one can except for who? The lamb that was slain. And you see the Lamb of God, 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 the Lamb of God. It was just all over the end. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What do you think people need to be saved from? I wonder if often we get so distracted by everything else we forget the essence of his mission to save the world from sin. He never dealt with Rome. He didn't. That's coming. That's coming one day, but not right now. 
He never dealt with Rome. He didn't bother to end all the suffering and end all of the political injustice. He came to be an innocent lamb sacrificed on the cross for you and me. Now there's, there's more to this encounter where Jesus and John the Baptist actually talk a little bit. Uh, it's in some of the other letters, and I just want to keep focusing on what John records here. He kept his focus on Jesus. And he, he says this. Um, the next day, as he's, he's had the task force, he's told them, they hang around apparently, and they're with him, which is, that'd be intimidating. You got these dudes from Jerusalem that have a lot of power and clout, and they're just hanging. And then Jesus all of a sudden shows up and he's like, that's the guy, that's the guy, that's the Lamb of God right there who takes away the sin of the world. And these guys are like, and now they got all their questions. Well, who's that? Is that the Messiah? Is that the, right? So that's going on and John's just exploding. That's the guy, that's the guy, that's the guy. You know how I know that's the guy? And he says this, he says, I, I myself don't know him, right? I never knew him, I don't know him. But for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. In verse 32, he says, John bore witness and said this, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him. But he who sent me, meaning God, sent me to baptize with water and said to me, he who, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen it. So what he's saying is, he, first of all, he's telling this delegation, look, I don't know this guy. I've never known this guy, but I now know he is. You don't want to know how I know that he know? The, how do I know that I know that he is the Messiah, the Lamb of God? He said the Spirit descended on him and remained. Now, the Holy Spirit has come and descended on people throughout the history of Israel. The Holy Spirit never stayed. Would come and then go. He would come and go for a moment, for a mission, for, for a specific purpose. But then we'd leave. And what's interesting is what happens here, twice it says this, the Holy Spirit came in verse 32 and remained. And then it goes on in verse 33, and the Holy Spirit descended and remained. It happens twice. Twice the Holy Spirit came for the first time since the fall and, and filled a person up and didn't leave. remained and that's why he says jesus i'm baptizing with water it has no power it has nothing it's a sign someone is giving to god but jesus he's going to baptize with the holy spirit so it's going to be like this, and he's going to remain. The Holy Spirit's going to remain. So imagine this, like if you and I, we got baptized, and we came out wet, what normally happens? Well, we send them off over there to the changing rooms, and they dry off, and they get on dry clothes, and, and they walk out, right? They're baptized. But when you're baptized with the Spirit through Jesus, what happens is, it's as if you get out of this thing, and you can never dry off. You're always wet. Everywhere you go, you leave wet footprints, because the Spirit's in you, baptized. That's what that means, immersed, and you never, 
forever dry out. Everywhere we step, baptized with the Spirit. That's radical for them. It's normal for us, or kind of normal. So what do we leave with here? If you are sitting there and you at this point in your life, maybe you've heard about Jesus, maybe you haven't. Jesus has come to save you from sin. He has come to save you and rescue you from guilt. And he did not come to judge, he came to die for you. And I would encourage you, maybe you have put off that decision for years. Maybe you're just now considering this whole idea of following Christ. But I would, I would encourage you, just in your spirit, to say, Jesus, would you save me? It's very similar to us being on our knees, as it were, spiritually in reality, and just saying, I need you. Would you take away my sins? And would you, would you like put your presence in me, like dunk me like what, what that guy on the stage is saying, what Pastor Scott's saying, like immerse me in your presence so I just, I, I just squeak, I, I'm soaked and I never dry out. I want that. Believe in the Lamb of God who can take away your sins. There's one other thought, too, as we close. Uh, this past week, uh, my wife and I, we were, we were at the eye doc having our eyes checked. Uh, whatever, it, it, normal stuff, right? Um, and this gal comes in and says, I love your wife. She's so awesome. Like, I just want to, like, hang out with her. Can we make the appointment longer? I just want to talk to her. And I'm like, I know, she's so cool. She's great. I'm a big fan, too. <laughs> kind of thing, and, um, and I wasn't, I, you know, we were on the drive home, and then it hit me, it hit me, because earlier this week, someone had said they were out at a store, at a restaurant, I can't remember, and someone just out of the blue comes up to them and says, you're like so happy, or like joyful, and their response was this, a long time ago, I chose to give my life to Christ, and he's made all the difference. And I, I remember that going, I wanna say that. I wanna be able to say that because it, it takes it off of me. It's like John going, no, 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 I'm just, I'm, no, I'm unworthy. Like that, no, it's, it's him. It's him, I'm the hype guy. I'm the hype guy. You want him, and I just wish I would've been able to say it to that lady, go, no, no, you have no idea. She gave her life to Jesus. And, it, and he's made all the difference. And she would say the same. Like you and I, right now, everywhere we walk, people are scared, people are afraid, people think they need salvation, but they're needing salvation from the wrong thing, right? 
They're all focused on what they think they need to be saved from and rather than they need to find Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who baptizes them in the Spirit and forever they're soaking wet. Can't ever dry out. You're the hype guy. You are. You don't have to wear camel hair stuff. You don't have to eat a locust, but you're the hype guy. I'm the hype guy. The voice And if your voice doesn't rise up, those people don't hear. Let's pray. I know some of you may be listening right now, and I just encourage you just to say it. I'm just giving you a moment. Just say it to Christ. I need you to save me. Please take control of my life. Please. I receive your forgiveness. Baptize me. Dunk me. Immerse me in your presence. It's that simple. There's no holy, sacred way to say it. It's your heart cry to him. You say it to him. If you've never done that. And for those of you who walk with the Spirit, in the Spirit, Just receive a fresh filling right now of the Spirit. New grace, new love, not to win the argument, but to love. Holy Spirit, Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, we're no longer slaves to fear. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Send us out. You, Jesus. Holy Spirit, send us out. Soaking wet (laughs) with your presence. Amen.